0: Praise God for his word. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, crossroads, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor." so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there... And the one who gathered little did not have too little.
1: Amen. Let's just be with that. Just want you to be with that scripture for a moment. Anything that may have kind of stood out to you as Christine was reading. Let's just be with the scripture for a bit. Amen, amen. What a beautiful portion of Scripture. Uh, Josh actually shared with us on a a connected, this is a connected portion of Scripture. This is kind of the beginning of the Scripture that Josh read and utilized last week. And um, I thought that it would really be connected and helpful for us to maybe go to this part of the Scripture. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop on what's going on here. So Paul uh, is obviously speaking to the Corinthians. Um, the Corinthians are kind of the United States when it comes to economics in that time in world history. It's a prosperous part of the world. It's a thriving part. There's plenty of uh, plenty of industry going on, plenty of uh, shipping, and they're just from a fiscal and... Uh, resource uh, way. They are just up and to the right. Um, Paul, in his writing to the Corinthians, uh, what's happening here is Paul literally was sent to the Corinthians uh, for various reasons. So at this time in church history, which is the beginning of church history, uh, there's, there's a lot of division that's going on between the Gentiles and the Jews. And there was a council... Uh, that came together in Jerusalem that happens before this Paul's a part of that and they have a conversation about you know trying to work through some things in this separation of kind of the haves and the have-nots the Jews and the Gentiles how's this all going to work out and Paul is sent to Corinth because Paul has this deep passion and this leading from God to go to the Gentile world so uh, he goes to the Corinthians and he 's sent there by the Council in Jerusalem. They kind of come to an agreement. One of the areas of agreement is that Paul would talk to them about the need for reaching and helping out in the poor there 's a scripture in Galatians chapter two uh, that actually speaks back to this in Galatians two ten It says that they asked all they asked, meaning that counsel, all they asked of Paul was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So Paul in Galatians is really referencing this larger conversation, and this is certainly a part of it, is one of the things that he's been mandated to do, and we've all really been mandated to do, is to not forget the poor. So he does that gladly, and it's It's beautiful the way that he begins to communicate to the Corinthians and he utilizes this example. You may have noticed in the beginning of the scripture, he utilizes the Macedonian church. And he references a few things with the Macedonian church, that they are in really difficult places. It's a really difficult time. It says that they are people that are of extreme poverty. It's another thing that he mentions. And he also says that in the midst of that, they have this deep abiding joy, that they somehow transcend all of the difficulties of their life. And then he refers to their offering, that they have already, not only that they've made an offering, but they, he uses the term, they have begged me that they could give to help the poor and their poor. I mean, it's powerful stuff. So Paul, just like Jesus did, for instance, when Jesus spoke of the widow's might, right, challenges us, all of us, in our giving, no matter where we come from, because we all walk in here in a different place. And when we start to think, oh, gosh, we're going to talk about money, everybody starts a hyperventilator, not all of us, but some of us, you know. Some of us just say, well, this is another talk I'm not going to listen to out of a long line of talks I haven't listened to. This is one of those categories, Anyway, I would say this, that this is applicable. It relates to all of us. We all come in here. We're all a part of this journey, and a big part of our lives have to do with our finances, the resources we've been given, however much that is or however little that is. And we are in this together. And then what Paul essentially is saying, which is just referenced throughout Scripture over 2,000 times, Jesus talks about money directly, uh, or indirectly, 2,000 times, anyway, he, he begins this conversation and says, listen, as a community of faith, as people that are, are the hands and feet of Christ, we're the body of Christ, When we join in with the way God wants the world to be touched, of course it's going to touch our finances and our resources. So that's where we start. Now, finances, of course, I said, you know, some of you got to get over the hyperventilating. I see the people in certain rows with paper bags. It's like you're on the... No, I'm only kidding. Um, Anyway, uh, finance, when it comes to finance, it's about trust, right? Uh, Hopefully you guys have some measure of trust for me. If you're a visitor, I... It's just a bad week to be here. I'm only only kidding. The first time, the first time my buddy, when I was in high school, invited me to his church, uh, it was a Sunday night. He was so wanting me to come to Christ. He's sharing Christ with me, and finally, I'm like, "Yeah, I'll go." You know. So I came. It was a Sunday night, and it was a it was a money talk, which made a lot of sense to me. But he just he just his underwear were in a bunch. I mean, he felt so bad that I was there. He apologized to me. I said, This makes total sense to me. Anyway, um, what was I saying? So, do you trust me or not? Probably not. Anyway, um, so I want, let's, let's do something real quick. Uh, whatever you have, if you have something with you that would represent like your financial world, so it might be your wallet, it might be your purse. Checkbook, might be your phone. A lot of you pay for everything with your credit card through your phone. Just hold it in your hand for a minute. This is like the temple of worship in the good US of A. This is it. This is the center of a lot of warfare in our lives, right? So we want to hold that in a way that we just hold it before God. And, um, you know, we're grateful for what we have, right? So everybody sat with that. Now, uh, what I want you to do is pass that to your neighbor. Remember, we're trying to trust. Pass that to your neighbor. And as your neighbor receives that, now we're going to take a second offering, and I want you to give. Give like you have always dreamed of giving. Let's do it. No, I'm only kidding. Go ahead. Take your stuff back. Make sure nobody stole anything from you. Hopefully we're all breathing again. So this, this principle, <laughs> this principle or, uh, you know, the business of giving this, 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 some would say the discipline of giving, generosity, is a huge deal. It's a huge deal in Scripture. It's a huge deal for Jesus. It's a huge deal here, obviously, for Paul. And it's one of the most tangible, it's not the only one, but it's one of the most tangible expressions and opportunities that we have for oneness with what God's desire is for the earth as the body of Christ, part of the body of Christ, it's the redemption of economic relationships. There is no, no clear picture of restoration. Uh, there's others that are, that are certainly as clear, but there's no clear picture of uh, healing and restoration is being able to be in community with those that have less than you and those that have more than you and be able to serve together and serve the wider world and try to reach the wider world with the good news of Christ. So um, we, we know that, as I said, the Corinthians, so they, are, uh, they were that generation's uh, picture of wallet worshipers. That's what they were. And then we have the Macedonians, and Paul uses them as a beautiful example. And I have a few observations. There's so many observations in this scripture and the stuff that Josh shared last week, and then, of course, a lot more. But I want to give a few of the observations, and Claire's right. I I probably will not even get close to talking about all of this today, but we will get there. So the first thing that I want to uh, just observe is that we are in this together, all right? We all have a reference. We all come into this place. Some of us are really hurting financially. We would consider ourselves part of that uh, poverty-stricken group. Uh, some of us are doing really well and are thriving financially. That's an area of our life um, that is, is, seems to be good. Of course, it never seems to be good enough for any of us, I think, um, but what I want, I want you to know when it comes to, because some of us would say, I don't think you should talk about money in church at all, uh, but I would say this, I think that that's a huge mistake. First of all, just because it's spoken about so much, and Jesus used it because it's so connected to our life, right? So connected to our heart. Jesus made this comment that wherever your treasure is, wherever your finances are, that's where your heart is. So it's just connected. It's connected to our formation. It's connected to how we feel about God. Um, it, we get challenged in it, um, not just with giving at, at like church, but just as a whole. It, it speaks to our development spiritually, right? Um, but anyway, so we all have this reference point, but you know, uh, it would be naive of us to think that uh, we, we all came from somewhere, we all came from a culture an environment financially, it would be naive to think that when we all, those of us that have given our life to Christ, that when you give your life to Christ, that all of a sudden you've got this redemptive view of finances automatically, or that all of those things, those broken parts, I mean, we all come into church and there's various brokenness that we bring to God consistently, and it would be naive of us to think that finances and our resources might not be one of those areas that God desires to bring greater wholeness into our life and blessing into our life. So we do that. We don't just, we don't just, you know, say a prayer, come to the altar, get saved. And then all of a sudden I go home and if I have, I haven't paid my light bill that all of a sudden my light bill's okay. That's not how it works. You got, you still got a light bill that you got to pay, right? So it does matter to God what's going on in your life and mine. And then we all have, I mentioned, we all have this environmental influence. Influence has a lot to do with the way that we approach this stuff. Uh, Culturally, we have a huge influence going on, right? I mean, uh, in the United States, there is a way that finances are looked at. And if you just simply kind of embrace the way that it's looked at, the cultural view, it usually, generally, is going to create a lot of problems and damage, either for you or for other people. Well, you know, you had an eating culture growing up, you know. Um most of you what I would I would assume didn't like get raised on vegetables and you know, like all kind like celery, like who who like uh in the culture of your home, it was like you just went around and said, Oh man, the celery is just amazing. Like and that, you know, you were that kind of eater. You might be pursuing that now. Now culture can change. You can change your culture. That's kind of the point. Like the, the culture that I was raised in, I don't know. Um, You know, it it wasn't celery eating. It just wasn't. We just weren't that family. You know, there's a, there's kind of a, a culture that was set perhaps with your health, a culture that was set for your, you know, the way you exercise, your discipline. Uh, the way that your parents disciplined you. You know, my mom and dad, they weren't, uh, especially my mom, she wasn't a, you know, Scotty, um, I'm going to put you in timeout. You've just been really not doing well today. You know, she was more directive than that. My mom was deeply loving, and I'm not going to look over on that side of the room. She was deeply loving, but if I wanted to say anything when I did something wrong, uh, and my dad was at work. I didn't say, uh, I didn't ever hear her say, wait till your father got home. I was begging, can we wait till dad gets home? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So you got that stuff going on. And then, But most of us, the truth is, when, <laughs> hi, mom, I love you. Where's she at? I see a hand. Yes, she's amazing. And I love that about her. I love that about her. I don't think timeouts would have worked for me. Anyway. Yeah. Um, And obviously, that didn't work either. But something (laughs) should work. But then there's financial culture. We all have that, right? So we have that financial culture. Some of us never talked about money, certainly. And then all of a sudden, we come into the kingdom. And then we have these conversations like this, where they're talking about giving money to the poor. And, you know begging to give and, you know, you listen to this stuff, it's like, this is crazy, which brings a second observation. The the math in scripture is just strange. Would you agree with me? Like it is weird compared to the math that we see culturally generally in the world. It's just weird. So it's some of the things that's helpful to identify. First of all, one of the things that is weird it's, it's kind of a myth. There's like myths. There's a ton of myths when it comes to money. But one of them is that money would make any of us happier. Money does not make you happier. And a lot of you are thinking, try me. But <laughs> money will not make you happier. It, it isn't automatic. More money. And it's beautiful the way Paul does this because he says, these people are in deep poverty, these Macedonian Christ followers, and they are loaded with joy they do not have enough resources and somehow they transcend that. See, but our culture tells us if you just had more money, you would be happier. The more money, the more happiness. The truth is money is neutral. Money isn't good or evil. The scripture, when it says that uh, money is the root of all evil the love of money is what it says it doesn't just say money is the root of all evil the love of money so it's about attitudinal positioning when it comes to our money but money's neutral it comes into our life finances come into our life and goes from our life and it's neutral it becomes good or bad based on or stays neutral based on what we do with it it's like the internet right the internet is neutral It's not necessarily good, and it's not necessarily bad. It can be really helpful. It can be used for good. It can be used for very evil things. It can be used for things like education. You can watch online things like Billy Graham or Jen Jen Hatmaker. You can watch things. You can watch T.D. Jakes online. You can get the gospel online. You can... uh, You can get enriched by going online. A lot of you, most of you probably, your work is helped because of the Internet, that some of the things that you do is somehow connected to that. That can be really good. But it can also be used for bad, right? It can be used for the Internet. Uh, The top thing that human traffickers are using right now is the Internet in order to traffic people in human slavery. So obviously it can be used as evil, just like money can be used as evil. It can inflict pain. So so it's important that we realize that this math of money and the way that money is, is it just simply depends on who's holding it and who's using it and how they're holding it and how they're using it and how they're investing it, how we spend it, all right? So money in one person's hand can bring death and destruction and money in another person's hand can bring fresh water can bring the gospel, can bring education and literacy. It can feed the hungry. It can use to be used to save lives and shelter people, and on and on and on. You get it, right? The second thing that we see is that money. When it comes to this money myth, is um, that money. If you have more of it, it will it will automatically equal more generosity, and that's a myth. That is a statistical myth, clearly. In the history of the United States, for instance, the most generous time of the American church in the United States was during the Great Depression from a statistical uh, uh, percentage standpoint. During the Great Depression, the church gave more from a percentage standpoint than at any other time in history, 3.3%. Today's church, the wealthiest church community, not only in the world, but in the history of the world, ever is giving less than the church in America gave during the Great Depression. We give, when I say we, the church in America, those that would say they're Christ followers, give 2.5%, around 2.5% of their income to the work of the kingdom of God. Now, this this is where I might lose some of you because you, you get bored with these kinds of things, but let me give you a couple of numbers. So the church in the United States uh, encompasses about 5% of the church worldwide, people-wise, numerically, It's about 5% of us, yet we have 50% of the wealth Uh, in the Christian church is in this country, 50% of it. Now, I don't say that for any other reason but to say, you know, to whom much is given, much is called for. There is a huge responsibility when it comes to stewardship uh, in the church. It's really interesting getting back to this issue of, you know, if you make more money, you'll just become more generous. Some of us wait. We're like waiting. If I just start making this much, then I'll give. Um, I'll just say this to you. When you made less money than you make now, you were probably more likely to give if you're not giving. You used to be more likely to give than you do today uh, if you just go by that philosophy. In other words, A person making twenty thousand dollars in the United States that's a Christian is eight times more likely to give to the kingdom work around the world than somebody making seventy-five thousand dollars. Eight times more likely. The most generous people in the church, from a percentage standpoint, clearly are those that are at the lower end. From a percentage standpoint, don't. I'm not trying to lump anybody into any category. I'm just telling you these are general numbers but I think that they're challenging numbers. And I would say that part of the reason that those on a lower income scale are more generous from a percentage standpoint has to do with the greater our level of affluence, the more disconnected we get to the needs of the world. We begin, we literally insulate ourselves intentionally without even, I say intentionally, without really knowing it, but we're intentionally doing it. And we do it by... We just, we just make sure that we're in safer places and we make sure that we're not exposed to the harshness of certain things and therefore we see less need, less reason to help out. Make sense? So when, when I say that the average American Christian gives 2.5%, Um, And then during the depression, it was 3.3%. Some of you right away thought, well, doesn't the church, don't most churches teach tithing? If you're not familiar with tithing, tithing is a principle. There's some debate around whether or not it's scriptural for today. I'm not going to get into that conversation. Um, We teach tithing here. We've taught tithing. Tithing simply means 10%. But I would say this, more than tithing, I would just say, if if you have never gone on a a generosity journey with God. Don't get all caught up in starting at 10%. Just start, just start. And I'll I'll mention something to you in a minute about that. But anyway, I'm gonna use this 10% piece just for conversation and show you some of the wisdom of Scripture when it comes to doing the things God has called the church to do in the world. The church is doing remarkable things with 2.5% of the average Christian's income around the United States, right? But when you think of that, it kind of gets multiplied difficult. So, all right, so essentially what little over, two, let's just say 2.5% uh, is, is given to the church. Now, out of the 2.5% that the average Christian gives usually and mainly to their church, 98% of that money stays in the church in the United States, 98%. Now, I don't want to get into the details of, of, you know, how that looks, but just think of, just just think of that. If, if they're given $100, $98, now I'll, I'll say this, we as a church are not what we want to be when it comes to this. We're not as generous as we want to be. We're on the same journey corporately uh, as you guys and I am on individually, Claire and I, um, However, I'll say we're, we're, we're spending a lot more money out there than 2% of what comes in here. You get it? But the average church in the United States, 98%, stays home, stays in the church. It goes to different things around the building. And all of those things are, can be important. But it gets to the point where we're just, we're just funding ourselves. The wealthiest church in the world, we're just funding ourselves, right? So that stays home. So we're given a little over 2% of our income and then we give 2% of the 2% of our income goes to the rest of the world and to the poor. 2% of 2%. In other words, it's really not much. And if we read this letter like Paul is writing to the Corinthians as the wealthiest people from a church's perspective ever in history, this is tough stuff. Let me give you more simple numbers. The average Christian in the United States gives six cents a day to the poor and for missions and needs around the world. Six cents a day. So what would happen? And this is the wisdom of scripture. What would happen if you and I we look, this is a big deal. I'm giving you general numbers just for conversation, because our numbers around here, as I said, are different than that. but I think it's important for us just to try to wrap our imagine what would happen if the church in the United States just gave twice what we gave as a whole? Like that went from two and a half percent to five percent. Imagine. This is, just seems unbelievable. Imagine if we all tithed. I can, I can tell you what some of that would look like. Numbers are if we tithed, it would be somewhere between $165 billion to $500 billion to the church for the work of the good news around the world. Relevant magazine, Mike Holmes, he said this, He goes on the conservative side. He said, it would give the church $165 billion available. And he begins to break it down. That would mean $25 billion to relieve the global hunger problem. It would eliminate deaths from preventable diseases within five years, which includes 1,500. He didn't say this. I know this is a fact. That would include 1,500 children every day that die because of things like cholera, which are definitely preventable. You could take 15 billion, this is in one year. You could take another 15 billion dollars of that, 165 billion, and you could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically where people live on less than one dollar a day. You could take 12 billion dollars and you could end illiteracy around the world. You could add a billion dollars to bolster overseas missions that are already being funded to a certain extent but not enough that would leave 100 to 110 billion dollars of additional ministry money for some sort of expansion in any way john wesley said it this way said money never stays with me it would burn me if it did I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Now, I don't say any of this to say anything but imagine with me. Imagine what could be. Everyone in this room would love to see an end to those 1,500 children around the world dying every day because of things that we can address it's not the government's responsibility to do these things. It's not, it's not somebody else's, it's not Bill Gates' job. He has his responsibilities. It's not Warren Buffett's job. We can make a shift. And you have made a shift. You have done remarkable things over the years with your resources. Those of you that have been generous around here, you guys have, have changed lives over and over and over again. But dream with me, won't you? Just dream with me. Think about influence of the gospel increasing around the world. Think about those places in the world where people absolutely hate American Christians, if they even get to the Christian part. But think about it when we go there and we're able to begin to save the lives of their children simply because we're just doing kind of a, a, an invitation that God gave us to do kind of remarkable difference might that be which brings up another observation and I'm going to stop with this one that grace the grace of generosity is so powerful friends it is so powerful giving is powerful your giving is powerful see When I say the grace, you might have noticed that Paul, when he's in this conversation with the Corinthians, he's just constantly talking about grace. The grace that shows up because God's grace shows up in your generosity and mine. God does the supernatural when we bring what we can naturally. And some of you say, well, grace, God's grace shows up. What does that mean? God forgives us for something. God does forgive us for something. But in this case, this is about generosity. That word grace at its core is giving. It's more about giving than it is forgiving. Forgiving is one of the characteristics of giving. See, God was gracious in the garden, for instance, before Adam and Eve were even in the garden. It didn't, it didn't take sin for God to become gracious. God has always been a giving God. God has always been generous with us. God has always overwhelmed us. I love what the scripture says here. It says that they gave what they were not, or what they were able to give, these Macedonian Christians. And then he goes on and he says, and they, and they gave what they were not able to give. This is specifically what he says. They gave beyond their means. These folks gave more. Paul was probably thinking, you have got to stop. I've been there before where I think, I don't know if I'm comfortable receiving in the name of Christ for the church what you're offering. Because I don't know that you have it, but it's like, you know what? That's what Paul's saying. They were so overwhelming in their generosity and I'm looking at their lives. And he's like, they're just challenging me in their generosity. See, when we give in Jesus' name, it sets into motion a supernatural processes that enriches the one receiving and the one giving. Anyone who's given anything as an act of generosity, you know as well as I do that something supernatural happens in your heart, in your life. You realize that you are receiving in the midst of your giving. See, God brings the increase. He brings, he brings this increase to the capacity to give. This isn't something that we wish for or hope for. We just come before God and say, God, enlarge my heart. Many of you that are generous and give, you know that, for instance, that there's been an enlarging of your tent no, it's not you've gained weight. You've just all of a sudden, you know, you look at times and it's like, wow, my, my check this week that we're giving or my giving this week is more than I made when this journey started. This was more than my initial paycheck. God has done that in your life and mine. God enlarges the place of our tent. He enlarges our income. God, the scripture says, brings the increase in our lives and he enlarges our heart And he constantly brings us back to the needs of the world and how it's so much God's heart to transform those and help those in need. Claire and I and Sean, uh, years ago, we were in Haiti and we were doing a commencement service, graduation service for 60 pastors. And we were there as representatives of Crossroads and... Um, We spoke, Claire and I spoke at the commencement. At the end of the commencement, we were praying for people and God spoke to the three of us because we had resources that you guys all supplied for us to give while we were there, to just pay attention to the leading of the spirit, just money that went beyond paying for the trip and the needs that we had, but also just blessing different people in different situations. And anyway, at the end of this uh, service, we, we looked at each other, and we all had the same sense of we need to bless every one of these pastors and put a seed in the ground for whatever ministry they're heading out to. So 60 of them. We had, we, I don't even know how we had, well, I do know how we had this, $601 bills. It was the only thing that we had that we could break up in 60 ways. You get it? And these people were from all over the country. Now, that may not sound like a lot. So we decided we're going to give each one of these pastors $10 to launch their ministry. Now, that sounds like nothing because uh, in our world, it's nothing. But Haiti's one of those parts of the world where they're living on less than a dollar a day. So $10 is like, it's a pretty big deal. So we give them the $10. And we pray for all of them and the service is over, and we're just kind of mingling around and talking and celebrating and getting ready to go off to a celebration dinner that they were, Carlo was putting on for all the pastors. And Pastor Nore Roman, he came up to us with one of the dollars. And he wrote this letter and gave us the dollar back. And he said, here is my tithe. I want to sow it back into Crossroads Church and the work that you do. This is one of those, he was like begging to give the money. There's a lot of different things that go on in your mind when somebody that has $10, and it might be the only $10 they have for the next six months, comes to you and says, you gave me $10, I'm giving you a dollar back. We immediately brought this dollar home, we frame it, it sits in our office, and we walk by it often, and I flip the dollar around because the back side is the side that says, "In God we trust," because Nore, he is trusting God for his provision. He was so thrilled to give this dollar. He was begging to have an opportunity to be generous. As we sat there that day, grace was flowing into his life, the grace of giving, tears in his eyes, and grace was flowing into our lives, the receivers, tears in our eyes, overwhelmed and challenged. I don't know how many times I walk by this because where we keep our our bills and stuff at home, I walk past that desk to get to that in our office. And I look at that and I think, may I be that kind of person. May I be that kind of person that has this heart for God that is ready to not only give the grace of God but to receive it. So we started this. I asked you guys to take out your wallet and I won't ask you to do that again. But here's your homework charge for the week. I want you to make space for yourself sometime in this week. And I want you to take, whether it's your wallet, your checkbook, something that represents your finances. And if it's in your home, whatever it is, I want you just to get a space and just sit down by yourself or with your spouse, if that feels better. And you just hold that wallet. You hold that symbol of God's generosity toward you before him and I ask you just to ask God this say God this is yours and I ask you to help me know what to do with it and just be with God and let him bring the love of God, the grace of God the goodness of God into your life
2: you guys stand with us I want to just show you the rock and the nail. That was um, in one of the offerings while we were in Haiti. Um, it was a building fund offering. Someone put a rock and someone put a nail. And um, I, and so even with a conversation like this, it's what do you have?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One person had a nail. One person had a rock. So let's pray. Yes, God, we are grateful that you make all grace abound in, in this new year, I wonder what it would be like if we just trusted you um, to take care of your world in the ways that you ask us to. And so I pray that everything that was unnecessary um, for us to hear, that we would let that go and that we would take into our hearts that which was ours to hear from you. And that we don't get caught up in anything that felt like it was ill-fitting and wasn't for us. But just take a deep breath, everybody, and say, God, what what was for me to hear? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all is here you.